That beautiful hymn is very fitting for the season that we are now in. Started yesterday, Ash Wednesday. And the season of Lent is a time to draw near to the Lord and to express to the Lord the affection of our heart. And certainly that beautiful hymn represents that. And I welcome you to our gathering this evening and trust that uh, day two of the Lenten season that you're already experiencing the presence of the Lord in your life in a fresh, beautiful, intimate way. I want to talk a little bit, uh, not only tonight, but in the next few weeks leading up to Easter about conversations. And conversations are a really great way to get to know someone. Uh, Not only do you talk, but you Uh, We do well to listen, not only to the words that are are shared, but the body language and and just to kind of have a window into someone that we are having this conversation with. And this Lenten season, it's a very, very wonderful opportunity we have to look over the next few weeks at conversations that Jesus had on the way to the cross, and through this to get to know Jesus better, literally hours before the crucifixion. So we've chosen some, we've chosen some different conversations that will really give us a window into Jesus and, and uh, so that we can learn about him. And uh, it's unique, the conversation that we have this evening as we begin is uh, because the central character in the conversation doesn't really say a word. Her actions speak volumes, but the conversation that is happening is all around her. It's about her. It's critiquing her. And we're going to really study that in the next few moments. Now, a little bit of the backstory. Her name was Mary. On a previous occasion, Mary's family had hosted Jesus in their home. And on that occasion, Mary made a very good impression on Jesus, sitting at his feet with rapt attention to every word that was spoken. And even while her sister Martha was scurrying about and working on details of hosting Jesus, we've looked at this actually recently, so we're not going to tarry here long, but when questioned about Mary's inactivity, if you will, the fact that she was just sitting and not helping Martha, Jesus responded to Martha saying she chose what was better, chose what was better. What was better was choosing to sit with Jesus. Now Mary was one of three siblings that we know about. Not only was there her sister Martha, but there is a brother by the name of Lazarus. And when their lives intersect Jesus, we learn that Martha is bold, she's outspoken, a hard worker, nothing wrong with that. But we also learn a lot about Mary, more soft-spoken, more contemplative in her character. One can imagine that when they were little girls, it would have been Martha who would have taken the lead in their playtime. I could envision Martha, you know, kind of bossing Mary a little bit when it came time to play prince and princess it was Martha probably that chose and probably said Mary 
you know, you be the prince so I can be the princess. We actually saw this played out in uh, our daughters at times. It's funny how those roles are. And when we look at the adult Mary and Martha, we can just kind of look at how they probably were as little girls growing up. Mary strikes me as a type that as a child might have preferred playing alone for hours in her room by herself. We don't know much about Lazarus under that he and Jesus were really good friends. When Lazarus dies and Jesus sees Lazarus' sisters weeping, Jesus weeps with them. And this is Mary's second encounter with Jesus is when her brother Lazarus has died. It's one of the most moving moments in the story of Jesus because when Jesus sees Lazarus' sisters crying, says in the Gospel of John that Jesus wept. He was that close to this family. He, he loved them deeply and they loved him. It's a very intimate relationship that Jesus had with this family. But let's not leave Lazarus in the grave. His resurrection was one of the great miracles of Jesus. Tears of sorrow turned into tears of great joy. So after these two significant encounters Mary has with Jesus, we now focus on a third encounter, an encounter that will literally define Mary's legacy. It's six days before Passover, which means it's six days before Jesus is nailed to the cross. He told those that would listen that his death was imminent. Few believed him, but Mary seems to have understood. For she hears not only with her ears, but with her heart. Tension on the streets is escalating. The noise is increasing. The crowds are starting to get worked up. Fear is growing in Jesus' camp. Emotions are building. Again, just six days before the crucifixion. Let's look at how the conversation unfolds We'll be looking at the Gospel of John starting at chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard An expensive perfume, she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Can you see yourself there in that room? Imagine that you are there and you're seeing this Amazing story unfold and you're listening to the words and you're watching Mary's worship. 
Now how fitting it was for Lazarus to host a dinner honoring his miracle worker. As usual, Martha took her place serving. She was in her zone. She was in her happy place, probably in the kitchen. That was her known to be the place where, where she loved to host and to work through the details. Meanwhile, Lazarus is chilling with Jesus. They're just reclining together and talking. Love to have been a fly on the wall to hear what they were talking about. But suddenly there's movement toward Jesus. Eyes in the room turn as they notice a lady walking carefully toward Jesus. Careful because she doesn't want to spill any of the liquid that she is carrying. People stop talking. Suddenly there's a hush in the room. Mary kneels and begins pouring the liquid on the feet of Jesus. The buzz in the room is that it's not water, but it's perfume that Mary's pouring out. They start to smell this aroma of the perfume. Now she's pouring a pint of pure nard. Now don't get nard confused with lard. Okay, they are very, very different. Nard is short for nardinium. Nardinium is one of the most expensive perfumes in the world. This amount of pure nard was worth about 300 denarii. One denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. At the current U.S. federal minimum wage, the amount of this expensive perfume would equate to just over $32,000. Imagine that. $32,000 plus. It's not the kind of perfume that you can get at CVS, right? You say, no way can a perfume be that expensive. That's what I thought. And then I learned John Whitvliet writes, today one of the most expensive perfumes in our world is Clive Christian's Imperial majesty. For women, it comes in essences of bergamot, which is citrus, white peach, Indian jasmine, or sandalwood. You can get a 16.9 ounce bottle for a mere $215,000. I'm sorry I didn't get this information to everyone prior to Valentine's Day. Would have been an awesome gift to get even an ounce of Imperial Majesty perfume. Mary's perfume was of this ilk. Such an extravagant gesture on her part was an act of reverent, over-the-top adoration. So that's the story. How does this story inform followers of Christ today? What can we glean from this story and apply to our worship, apply to our lives? The first is this thought that no act of worship is too great for our most worthy Lord. For Mary, it was highly expensive perfume, but what might be for you, for me? What would be considered over-the-top Worship, outside the box worship for you that would be beautiful to the Lord. Now, Jesus is not physically here, his spirit is among us, 
So we cannot worship precisely as Mary worshiped. So we consider how we can demonstrate our deep affection for Christ in a variety of ways. Such extravagant worship can be expressed, for example, through the arts, through a painting, a graphic design, a composition of music, a performance of music, or dance, or theater, or any type of of music, through photography, film, a play, a poem, a book, through acting. Extravagant worship never moves away from love. Love is the, the root of such worship. It's the motivator for such worship, a love of God. Extravagant worship also informs us how a follower of Christ should view their vocation. Mary served Jesus in her worship. In our work, we too have the opportunity to serve Jesus in the work that we do, the vocations that we serve in. Whatever we do, all that we are, Mary models offering our very best to Jesus. It's about preparing for even a gathering like we have tonight. It's beautiful as our team comes fully prepared to offer their very best in worship unto the Lord. Extravagant worship to him. Second, extravagant worship is reverent, caring, and loving. Mary poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Reverent in that she was kneeling at his feet. She was, had the posture of bowing down, which is seen so many times throughout the Old and the New Testament. This posture of reverence before the Lord. Caring in that she wiped his feet with her hair. Now, mind you, feet that had walked the dusty streets of that town, probably dust was caked upon the feet of Jesus, but in her lavish outpouring of worship, she wiped his feet with her hair. Are you getting this? Wiping his feet, not with water, but with the most expensive perfume she could find, wiping his feet not with her hands but with her hair, such an amazing extravagant act of worship, such a deep love that Mary exhibited for Jesus. For us as Christ followers it informs us that our worship is to be reverent, caring, and deeply loving. Third, extravagant worship may not be appreciated by all. In John's gospel, Judas Iscariot criticized Mary's worship. If you looked up Judas Iscariot on LinkedIn, it would say his profile would be a thief and a betrayer. Hire him at your own risk. Again, John Whitfleet writes, the contrast could not be more pronounced. Mary is generous. Judas is greedy. Mary is humble, and Judas is arrogant. Mary is selfless, Judas is self-centered. Judas stands aloof, Mary kneels in humble adoration. 
Together they serve as vivid contrasting illustrations of Jesus' own teaching, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is very clear where Judas' treasure was. It was in the money bag. It was what he could keep for himself from the money that was represented, the pool of money that the disciples would carry around. He was in charge. That was, that was where his treasure was, his heart was. Mary, just the she just wanted to pour out the resource she had. Her treasure was Jesus. That's where her heart was. Now, in all fairness to Judas, according to Matthew and Mark in their renderings of this story, they cite other disciples actually agreeing with Judas in his criticism of Mary. Those two gospels say this, the disciples were indignant. What a waste, they said. What a waste. You know, some may look at your worship, your extravagant worship of God as a waste, a waste of time, waste of resources. You could be doing this or that. Not everyone will agree with the decision to be an extravagant worshiper. We see this very clearly. Those closest to Jesus actually criticized Mary. Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus said this, she has done a beautiful thing to me. Criticism didn't cause Mary to stop her worship of Jesus. She carried on, undeterred. All that mattered was her selfless adoration of Christ. And then fourth, and finally, a worshiper of Christ does what they can do. I really like this in in Mark 14, 8, Jesus adds, she did what she could. Now maybe Mary couldn't sing very well or play an instrument or teach or prophesy, but she had a resource at her disposal, this rare and most expensive perfume. That's what she had. That's what she could do. I ask you tonight, what resource or resources do you have to offer Jesus? Take a moment, think about this, pause, consider this. You know, I could give a laundry list. We could, we could put a, a lot of different, you know, items, opportunities to volunteer at Anchor once we come back together. We could list a lot of different categories and areas that you could serve in, but I think that would miss the, really the moment here that I believe the Lord would have us consider It's back on you. What resources do you have? What gifts? What talents? What aptitudes? How has God designed you in such a way that you could could offer it back extravagantly to the Lord in worship? Now notice the timeline of Mary's extravagant offering. It's prior to the cross. In fact, she is preparing him for burial, which is a Jewish tradition. It's also prior to Easter, obviously, since it's prior to the cross. So her adoring worship is solely based on who Jesus is. I started to say Jesus was, but who he is. There was something about Jesus that Mary identified, making her, before the cross, before the resurrection, 
want to offer this extravagant worship to him simply based on his kindness, his grace, who Jesus was. Not for what he had done, although there is the Lazarus miracle, we granted that, but her first time to sit at Jesus' feet preceded Lazarus's being raised from the dead. Simply because of who Jesus was, she noticed, she identified, and she worshiped. Now we know the rest of the story. She didn't know that day. She hadn't experienced that day. We know how he paid the price for our sin on the cross. That his death, the shame that he took upon himself with the weight of the world, the sins of the world upon him so that we can have life, so we can live shame-free because of the forgiveness of our sins. And then to look three days later as we will celebrate in just a few weeks, The resurrection of our Lord, which meant not only had he defeated sin on the cross, but he also defeated death, hell, and the grave for us. So how much more so should our worship be extravagant to God, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Because we know the rest of the story. We've experienced that new life that Jesus paid the price to give us. How much more so? Should we offer the very best, over-the-top worship for our Lord and our Savior? Because of who he is and because also of what he has done for us. In closing, let's ponder the final comments of Jesus in this conversation. He concludes with these words according to both Matthew and Mark. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. In memory of Mary. For 2,000 years, Mary's worship has served to be her legacy. Millions of people every year read the gospel story from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they read about the legacy of Mary. This challenges me. I wonder what I will be remembered for. What will you be remembered for at this junction of your life? If you were to slip into eternity What would you be remembered for? What would I be remembered for? I pray that my life as an extravagant worshiper will be my legacy, will be our legacy. Yes, there are many important things in life, but I I believe with all my heart that if our priority is to be a lover of Jesus, a passionate worshiper of Jesus, that that will permeate in effect in a positive way every other area of our life. It's this 
strong notion that with Jesus at the center and our adoration and affection for Jesus at the center of our life and, and that he is all in all to us, that it will affect everything that goes out from that center. It will affect us as professional people. It will affect us in relationships. It will help us to be better spouses. It will help us to be better friends, better volunteers, better co-workers. It will raise the bar in every part of our life if we place worshiping Jesus as our primary role and function in life. That he has our heart. He has all of us. And as we offer to him all that we are daily, that our life would be a fragrant offering just as that fragrance filled that room of that perfume, that our life would be a fragrant offering unto the Lord. As we have that as our priority, then it will raise every other area of our life, making us better. On this first gathering of Lent, as we see this image and this amazing story of Mary sitting at Jesus' feet once again, this time with this extravagant offering of perfume and this caring, reverent, loving, affectionate adoration, I encourage us in this season of Lent not to let the next six weeks or so go by without sitting at his feet, without offering him our very best in worship and adoration. As we have looked at the opportunity before us, I believe that our worship during the season of Lent, the time that we deny ourselves and we literally live out, Lord, more of me, or more of him rather, not more of me, but more of Jesus, less of me, as we live this out, that we will see our worship become more intimate, more loving, more adoring. Let's vow to follow Mary's lead, to live a life of beautiful worship for our King. Let's pray together.